What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to In Search Of. We're your hosts, Ashton and Sam. We're two accountants who binge podcasts by day and TV by night. Keep listening to find what you've been in search of. Hi, Sam. Hey, Ashley. <laughs> Just went right into it. Yeah, this is really, I know yesterday we were like, long time no talk, but this really is long time no talk, like 24 hours. Yeah, we talked literally yesterday, but we're recording again through, I guess, Zoom because it's snowing in Nashville, which the roads don't look too bad, but I don't know. I just, yeah, I went out because I'm waiting for something in the mail, and I went out to see if it was delivered yesterday. And like the roads were, I mean roads, I didn't walk on the roads, but just yeah, they don't. my mailbox <laughs> and it was not slippery at all. It was just wet. So yeah, so we could have probably made it, but don't, we're not going to risk it. So we're just going to make we're it cozy. easy on ourselves. Yep. We're pouring a glass of wine. Yes. Yeah, we are. Yep, exactly. So today we have bank robberies and... We have a TV show called Evil Genius from Netflix, and then we've got, um, Sam is going to do Last Scene, which also has a Netflix show, but she'll talk more on that, and then I'm going to do a podcast called Hooked, and so everything is about theft and robbery, and so no killings, I guess, I don't think, and, and yeah, well, no, just kidding, Evil Genius. Yeah. Someone yes, does die. That, that is, like, <laughs> enough violence for all of yeah. it, because our podcasts aren't quite so violent, but uh, yes, Evil exactly. Genius is uh, horrifying, so. Yeah, okay, so we've got those three, so if you don't want any spoilers, um, stop here, but if you do go listen to them, follow, subscribe, and let them know that we sent you, and then if you want, follow, subscribe us. Um, have to do the shameful plug every time because I feel like that's the only way we're gonna gonna make this thing work. Um, but okay, so evil genius. I we were both talking about how we were trying to refresh our memory on this because we both watched it along. You know, I feel like I watched it closer to when it came out, which I mm -hmm. think was 2018. So it's been a mm -hmm. while. Um, but you actually watched some of the episodes. What yeah. what episodes did you rewatch? I watched the first two today. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, because I obviously I remembered the big thing that happened, which yes. is the guy who walks into a bank with a bomb strapped around his neck and yep. he gets pulled over, I think, or stopped and he's taken out of his car and the police are swarming around him and while the police are trying to figure out what's going on and get the bomb squad over to where they are the bomb goes off yes and um, the pictures from that like you can go and look at the pictures it is 
the most surreal thing. I don't know. It is. I know. I can't imagine being a police officer watching it happen because they said they, they heard like the beeps uh-huh. um, and they weren't really sure if he was serious about it being a real bomb and they cut his shirt off with scissors mm-hmm. and they saw that it was it looked like a bomb but you know they still don't know if it's real it could have just been a fake that looked like one yeah. um, but they heard the beeps and the Netflix show plays the video of it I mean mm-hmm. you don't see like the actual moment but um mm-hmm. you know he's he's talking to the police officers like is anyone gonna try to get this off I know me? he's like so I'm not sad. lying and I know yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. So um, the the show is based around like they named it after the main woman. I can't remember her name. Marge um, Marjorie. Yeah, something like that. So she was, I think, like very intelligent, and um, I think later, like her brain, like deteriorated, like she got like dementia or something, and like she's, you know, she wasn't this. Um, genius she isn't the same genius today but I think she was very intelligent but mm-hmm. I think I'm trying to remember like the story so I think her and another accomplice or whatever like he was a pizza delivery guy so they like ordered pizza out to de- get delivered to them yeah and, and it was like this really remote like cell mm-hmm. tower so it wasn't a home where he had been sent to deliver the pizzas yes yeah And then that's when they, like, take him in and put the bomb on him. And then does he, does he, I guess he drives his car to the bank, right? Like, they send him off. Yeah, so they give him, like, these really, like, a nine-page letter to give to the bank. Oh, yeah. But they give him a bunch of instructions because the bomb that she created, um, had four different locks and she said you have to basically complete these four tests and you'll get a lock like after every one that you complete Mm -hmm. and so the the big one was uh robbing the bank so yes he took like the clues or whatever you want to call them um in his car and he drove to the bank and was instructed to rob it and the robbery calling the police was how the police found him uh-huh. And um I know it said it's still like cold, like a cold cold case today. Is it is that not true? Like when I was reading on I don't think I so. mean I think she know she did it. Yeah, okay. So maybe I don't know why maybe I just misread something. Because at first I was like, why is this a cold case? Like she she I mean, they have her like and I think she's in jail, right? Yeah, because she also so they started looking into her because she um her house was between um the the man who was killed's home and where he was instructed to bring the pizza Mm -hmm. and his ex or I mean her ex-boyfriend called the cops and said hey she has a body in her freezer oh yeah and she had killed her ex-boyfriend and like wrapped him up and put him in the freezer Uh and they were like okay so these two like crazy things happened in such like close proximity to each other so they must be linked so Mm -hmm. if 
if she hasn't been like fully convicted of like the bombing thing, mm-hmm. then she definitely is in in jail for the um, killing and breathing. the murder. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a it's not long, isn't it? Like four parts on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really interesting. I remember when it first came out. It is like um, that one and another show kind of had gave me the same vibes. Um, what what is it called like murder cats or don't kill cats do you know what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about Um, i haven't oh don't f with cats don't f with cats but yes it's like the same kind of like setup where it's like a four-part series it's really short and it just like but it draws you in like so quick and it's such i don't know it's just crazy stories it insane but it's a good i think it's a really good watch on on netflix um there's just some crazy people out there I know that reminds me I just watched it's a new one newer one on Netflix that I watched something about um killers or yes um yeah in Los Angeles or the oh my gosh I'm trying to find my um watch it again on Netflix because Anyway, um, but it's about uh, a serial killer Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles in like the maybe 70s, 80s, 70s. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I don't Um, remember what it's called. I know, it's like the... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I get them all mixed up too. Like Crime scene, the Times Square killer. So it's not Los Uh, Angeles, it's New York. Okay, I'm no, I haven't Times seen Square that. Killer. It is, it's only three parts, um, but it was really good. Well, when we said that about Los Angeles, that made me think of that other murder, or not murder, but the where the girl that on the hotel where yes. they couldn't, yeah, what's that one called? Um, <laughs> this is us Hotel talk- Cecil or the yes, Cecil Hotel. Yeah, where they like they thought someone had killed her, but based off the evidence, they think she was in a um like manic state and got into the water thing. Mm-hmm. And because there was like a whole long question about if she had like taken if the lid was on or off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, we're yeah, going like, was- on a whole long tangent here. But I know. <laughs> We have well, lots of recommendations for our, uh, good Netflix doc- document series, I guess. Yeah, I remember hearing that story on Crime Junkie first. Yep, they same. were explaining the elevator video where she was like doing yes. hand gestures. And I, was, I remember hearing it on Crime Junkie and trying to imagine what the hand gestures were mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they were talking about it. And then the show came out and they play that elevator clip. And it is bizarre. It's very it eerie. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So we have a ton of Netflix recommendations. And maybe we'll get through all of them on this podcast. But uh, so yeah, back to the original one that we were talking about, Evil Genius. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. It's uh, it's just so crazy watching the the bomb on the guy. Yeah. It it's makes so you feel horrible. a little ill. <laughs> like, yeah. I was yeah. watching it and I was like, oh my gosh. Yes. It yeah, it's it's crazy, but that's our recommendation for TV. So go check that out. Um, but next, so you want to start with um, yes, last scene. Last scene. Yes. So I listened to this when it first came out. It came out in 2018, 
and it was put out by WBUR, which is Boston News. And um, I really liked it when it first came out because, again, it's something different and nonviolent, and uh -huh. it's just um, it makes you really curious. Um, so it, it was just something different to what I usually listen to. And now, so since that the podcast came out, there's been a Netflix special, and I think the Netflix special came out last year. And yeah, it's pretty recent. Yes. And so I watched that right away. And between the two, I like the Netflix special more than I like the podcast because I think seeing the museums, this happens in a museum and having some visual um, kind of helps you put it together in a way that's harder to do when you're just listening to the podcast. Yeah. But, yeah. And I actually watched uh, the Netflix show today. So I hadn't listened to the podcast, but I wanted to know like what you were going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. So I started it and it was so, so good. I literally watched it all today. It was a, it's yeah. another like little, like, I don't know how many, four, four or five parts. Um, yeah. It's so good. But yeah, I'll let you do the talking. Yes. So this is the story of the largest art heist in history. And it happened now 32 years ago, and it's still unsolved. So the morning after St. Patrick's Day, so it was like one in the morning after St. Patrick's Day in 1990, two thieves stole 13 artworks that were valued at half of a billion dollars from the Isabella Stewart Gardening Museum in Boston. And so what had happened was two men who were disguised as police officers were buzzed in by the security guard who was working at the museum that night. And um, apparently they said that there was some disturbance that they were responding to um, and the, um, security guard who let him in, uh, his name was Rick Abbott, and I'll talk about him a little bit, but they tied him and the other guard who was working, his name was Randy, tied him up and let him down to the basement of the museum, and, um, if you watch the Netflix show or if you go online, I really like the website for this. Um, there's like a, a six minute YouTube video that I think is really helpful to watch if you don't want to watch the whole Netflix thing. Um, and there's some images that I think are helpful, but they like duct tape their faces in like a really bizarre like manner. Well, and wasn't it, um, were they both duct taped that way or was it only Rick that was, cause they it was never just had Rick. Okay, yes. yeah, and which was, is even kind of weird, but yeah, like why would you let one see everything and not the other? Yeah, so like Rick had instead of just like tape over his eyes, they put the tape over his eyes, but then they also did the tape like around the top of his head and then down like under his chin. So it yeah, didn't like, make if any you imagine, sense. Like, if you got your tonsils out or your mm -hmm. wisdom teeth out and you have like something strapped around <laughs> your head to like keep eyes back on your cheek. Like it was done that way. So, also like, he it, had a ton of hair and I just yeah. thought to myself like, oh my God, that had to have hurt so bad when they pulled that tape off. Ripping that off. Which oh was just gosh, like pulling yeah. like a bandaid off your arm, like the hair on your arm. <laughs> I'm just yes. thinking to myself like, holy crap, that had, had to have, have like, hurt. Cut so that off probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably just got like a haircut, like a head yeah. shaved. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they led them into the basement, taped up Rick, and then they spent 81 minutes robbing the museum, 
which I mean, if you're going to do this high profile crime, you're going to be like in and out. You're not going to yeah. be taking your time. And some of the works that they stole, they like very carefully like took off the wall and like took out of the frame and were like very careful, which again, you're running in, grabbing things and like running out. If but you, some if stuff you think, too. Yeah, but some sorry. stuff too, they like cut, they like, instead of taking yeah. out the frame, yeah. they like cut it out with a knife. And people were like, if you're collecting art, like you're going to cut yeah. it. But then some things they like unscrewed, like uh, they took like a eagle sculpture on top mm -hmm. of a, um, I, well, I don't know what it was, but they like unscrewed, you know, so it was weird because there were some things that they like, you know, yes. took the time. And then like these artworks of like you know since the 1600s they just were like <laughs> like cutting yes, out they said in the podcast that it almost seemed like two separate crimes because it, it was like mm -hmm. two different mo's and like the way some pieces were taken was so different from others and it also they didn't take the most expensive pieces like they no. buy some of the most expensive they were very ones. specific with like the things they took yeah and some things didn't even have like that um they weren't even worth like that much right they were just yeah. like kind of things that this museum had not as like decor but they were just kind of like these extra pieces yeah yeah so the the first person they looked at was rick because he was the one who was there he's the one who let the guys in and um in the podcast, they say that 80% of museum robberies are from the employee. They're an, an mm -hmm. inside job. And Abbott was not who you would expect to be a security guard. So like, even mm -hmm. if you don't watch anything, you should look up a picture of him because he's <laughs> like a hippie. He's got like long curly hair. He was in like, he had, I think he had like a cowboy hat or something. He was in a band. Yes. And he did like, a lot of drugs. Did, yes. So yeah. um, he had also given his two weeks notice right before this happened. And like the most suspicious thing he did was 20 minutes before the police showed up, he opened and closed the same door that led outside to the museum. And um, the so by, I was confused by that. So by him yeah. doing that, did that like unlock the door? No. So okay. what, was kind of suspicious about that was the police thought that maybe that was his signal to the two mm. guys that like hey coast is clear everyone's gone oh like this is my signal to you and they got were it okay that door okay. and he said no that was something I typically did every night to test the alarms and make sure like everything was working and so they were like, well, if that was true, then we can go back and review like the security activity from previous nights. And the night before he did open and close that door, but it was to let someone in. Yeah. And so then that became suspicious in and of itself that he let someone in like after hours, because he only worked like in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. so let someone in after hours. And it turns out that it was his boss, um, that he let in, but it was still against protocol to let anyone in after hours, even if it were his boss. So um, they think it was an inside job because of how long they took in the museum. Like they knew that police weren't coming after them. They also kind of knew their way around the museum um, in a way that like 
only they would and the public didn't have access to the places that like they took them to the basement which the public didn't know where the basement they was. also knew where like a secret door was too yes yeah like that they were like how did y'all know that there was a door here yes and they led rick away from there was one panic button in the museum that they knew to lead him away from um and they also knew like where the um security office was and there were motion sensors throughout the museum so the museum had multiple floors and so what i think is really helpful to watch at least the youtube video on their site is it there they have like a time lapse and like what motion sensors went off in which rooms um, because in the second floor, the motion sensors went off like hundreds of times. So they were going back and forth between different rooms. But on the first floor, a motion sensor didn't go off once and stuff was taken from the first floor. And later the police tried to like recreate that. And they, um, so like one guy took one of those like, um, infrared blanket things to kind of like disrupt his body heat from activating the sensors. The sensor uh -huh. and he couldn't do it so it's like next to impossible to prevent those from going off if you're moving around and so there was stuff taken but the only motion and footprints that they could capture was rick's from earlier and it was and yeah and it was before um it was like at like 12 30 p.m so it was like yes. before the robbers had entered the building and they also found um that frame was in the, the like seat. yeah the security guard seat guard so it's really which i have a question too so like yeah. randy the other mm -hmm. security guard they never talked about him so i always wondered like if they ever interviewed him and ever thought like, do you think Rick was in on it? Because, like, he was the only other. Yeah. And at least in the Netflix show, they didn't ever talk on Randy. Yeah, so he never gave his last name. But there is one suspect that I'll talk about that he said he was 90 to 95% sure that this suspect was the guy who handcuffed him. Okay. So, so that, I mean, and that could be, he could still think Rick had something to do with it and hired these two guys but he just like kind of pointed out who he thought the actual robber was mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so but rick was never charged with anything and he still mm -hmm. says it's kind of weird he says like to this day he's like i'm the only one who's not concerned about solving it and he's like i'm just glad i survived it like i'm i don't know i don't care um yeah he has a weird attitude but he seemed like a weird kind of character anyway yeah so the other theories that the podcast talks about, um, a lot of them are centered around the Boston like mob scene. So there was an auto shop called TRC Auto Electric that was four miles from the museum. And it was run by Carmelo Merlino and it was a front for cocaine trafficking. And he made claims like throughout his life of crime, um, of knowing where the paintings were, but he died in jail without really giving anything worthwhile. And um, each of the, the episodes of the podcast kind of go to go into each one of these suspects and I'm not going to go into as much detail about them but it's also helpful too because on the Netflix show they do like a family tree of the suspects yes. so it kind of helps you visualize it a little better mm -hmm. um because it is 
a lot of people involved. Yeah, yeah. And so there were associates of Merlino. Um, They point out in the podcast, David Turner, he had committed robberies which were similar to the Gardner heist. And um, one thing that was suspicious was he kind of suddenly and randomly had his sentence cut down by several years. And usually that only happens is if you're cooperating with the police and like have a deal Mm -hmm. with information. Yeah. But they didn't like uh, make it public on what was, yeah, it's like private. Yes. And um, he, he had an alibi because he had receipts the days before and the days after the robbery that had him in different locations, but none of the night of the robbery. But before, the couple days before, he spent like 600 and something dollars at a spy supply store. Um, so, I mean. It also, sense. one note too that I thought was pretty interesting was so, like, if you're looking at the family tree, there's, like, the mm-hmm. main guy who died in jail, mm-hmm. and then, like, the two guys underneath him, um, so it's, like, if you had the main guy at the top, there's two guys under him, and then there's, like, the five underneath, and David Turner's, like, in that group, mm-hmm. well, the guys in the middle, there was one, he was murdered, um, but he, there was, like, a, a rumor or, like, a statement made that he had had two Boston police uh uniforms like in a bag like someone noted seeing him with the two so they were like okay why does this mob guy have two boston Mm -hmm. police uniforms in his bag which i thought that was like pretty convincing because you know there's like all these theories and rumors but it's like i was like dang that's pretty convincing yeah and so another so david turner and his other associate, George Rice, Ricefelder, I think that's how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, another theory is that he was using, going to use the stolen paintings as what they call crime insurance to kind of get out of the gang and like buy his way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who were close to him say that he looked like the police sketches that were put out. Um, of one um, and that George told them that Merlino was like a watch guy on the outside while this was happening but again like this is all like it's a lot of people taking credit for it because these mob guys want to be like known for pulling off this like crazy crime yeah and a lot of them literally like David Turner is like the only one still left alive like they're all like dead like, either murdered yeah. or died of, like, I guess, um, quote-unquote, natural causes. Yeah, and <laughs> the FBI have said that they think both of the robbers are dead. Um, uh-huh. So, in 2013, like, the, it was really the big announcement, only big announcement that the FBI had made on the case And what they said was they believe that the art traveled to Connecticut and then to Philadelphia. But after Philadelphia, they don't know what happened to it. And the reason that they think all this is because what the podcast calls the two Bobbies. So it's Bobby Garenti and his friend, Bobby Gentile. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, I think Um, think so. And so 
Bobby Garenti's widow told the police that Bobby had the paintings but gave them to his the second Bobby, his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and the police ended up searching the second Bobby's home and they found like a whole bunch of illegal stuff, but no painting art. Yeah. Yeah. No art. So that kind of came and went. And the next thing podcast focus on is, uh, FBI agent, Bob Whitman. He specialized in property theft and eventually ended up kind of running a branch of the FBI, um, called the art crime team. And he believed that he got as close as anyone has ever gotten to recovering any of the art. So he began working undercover with French gangsters that were tied to a Corsican gang that claimed to have two of the paintings, the Vermeer and the Rembrandt, I think. And he was working with these two and they were going to go and try to buy, they were going to pay, I think, like 30 million for these two paintings. And um, there were like a couple hiccups in it. And eventually, just kind of randomly, his supervisor, the Boston supervisor, because Boston was still overseeing this heist, it was still like technically theirs, they just called it off. So he believed he got like really close. And if he had been allowed to like go through with it, through with it, he would have recovered them. So um, he got close, but nothing. And then the next two suspects are Miles Connor Jr. and Bobby Donati. And Connor was, has been called the world's greatest art thief. And he could have been the mastermind of it, but he was in prison at the time. So they think he directed Donati and another friend. Um, Wasn't Donati also like involved in the, that same mob group? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which is so interesting. And um, Connor claimed that he and Donati like cased the museum prior to the art heist. And kind of going back to what you said about how that the one eagle thing and um, there were there I think there was like a Chinese like relic that was stolen. Yes, that had some kind of personal ties to them. So like that kind of explains how random some of the items that were stolen, why they were taken. Uh Um, But again, I mean, they they've not been able to prove any of this. It's still unsolved. Yeah, like, I remember when, on the FBI thing, when they, like, announced that they were, like, we know, we think we know who did it, but they still don't have any art, but then, and they also won't say who they think it is, so everybody's yeah, just, so, like, well, no one cares if you can't. Yeah, they're, like, okay, yeah, right, I mean, great that you say yeah, that, Yeah, good for really you. nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so, the final, final suspect is Brian McDevitt. Um, he attempted to rob a similar museum, the Hyde Museum, and he is the one that Randy said he's 90 to 95% sure that he was the guy who handcuffed him. And so the FBI have said that they are nearly certain that the two robbers are dead, but that some people think that Brian McDevitt is dead and some people think he's alive. So who is Brian? I don't remember much about him. Like who? He, 
so he in the he's the focus of the last um or the second to last, I guess, episode of the show. And mm-hmm. he had attempted to rob the Hyde Museum, which I think was not far from this museum, and mm-hmm. had, like, a similar MO. And his, like, ex-girlfriend, or I don't know if mm-hmm. they were married, um, suspected him. But he, I think he said that he had cancer and died from cancer in like Cuba or something he like fled so he um he kind of went missing and some people think he's dead and some people think he just faked his death but yeah I mean all of these are just leads and like weird coincidences and I mean so much of this circles around the mob the Mm -hmm. mob scene and I mean we we know that you know they talk in like code and like very hushed things and they like brag about things but you know you you never know so um yeah I I really liked the podcast when it first came out I would say if you were not wanting to do both the podcast and the show I would watch the show on Netflix um I think it's it's really good and it's different because it's not violent it's just very like like how could for 32 years not a single one of these be found oh yeah and I definitely think Rick was in on it like Mm -hmm. I don't know I think he just was threatened and they were like you're gonna go in on this with us and you're never gonna speak about it or you're gonna die like if you speak about it so like yeah I I don't think think he was like oh I have this great plan I'm gonna get some people to rob yeah like I just think that he knew about it yes he was in on it and um no, the show, the Netflix show was great. I loved it. I also read about the, like, backstory of the woman who Isabel Gardner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, like, so cool how she uh, she came from money back in the 1800s and just, like, started collecting art mm-hmm. and built this, like, four-story building. And before there was anything in Boston and just, like, collected things over time. And she actually lived in it and then died. Um in like 1919 I think but I I loved it just I love like museums and stuff and so I just think Mm -hmm. it was so interesting I have like a I have Henry Matisse uh he Mm. she had some of his stuff I have like fake prints of his in my kitchen so everything I love Etsy yeah exactly Etsy Etsy's where it's at if you want some like uh, famous art that's um not real on the cheap yeah exactly but um yeah, I just thought it was so interesting from, like, the backstory of her create, you know, building this place. Yeah, oh, and, and the then also does have an episode about her. Really? Yeah. Also, um, I remember them talking about where they thought some of the artwork had been taken. Um, it was when the journalist, like, met up with this one guy, and he, like, showed him a print, but he didn't know if it was, like, real or not because it could Mm -hmm. be fake and then they studied the like paint chips yeah I don't think he was like a main suspect but um that happened in Red Hook New York and I just thought it was funny because Jake and I when we went to New York a couple years ago we stayed in Red Hook oh really and yeah like in just like an Airbnb so I was like oh my gosh like I just I could so imagine all the places that they were describing because it's very like um like an industrial looking place and mm-hmm. they said like it was in a storage unit but yeah it's a great great show like I literally watched all of it just like this morning like back to back to back but yeah um 
Yeah, I loved it. Great and great story and just so crazy that they haven't uh, found anything. And I thought it was interesting too, like, because obviously you can't sell it because if you sell it, like you're like, hello, red flag. Yeah. So they use it as like collateral, you know, they, Mm -hmm. they use it like they take it and then they're like, okay, we could use this as collateral. Like if someone spends time in prison and they want a way out, but Mm -hmm. you know, people like some of those people that were suspects had spent time in prison and it never came up. So yeah, they, they were talking about Carmelo Molino and they were like, Mm -hmm. well, maybe he just hated the FBI more than he hated the thought of dying in prison. Yeah. Um, because, because they were like, he could have done well for his family, you know, if he exchanged for that. Yeah, because I think yeah. the price now is um, $10 million, and they stole like $200 million worth of mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, A-plus on that um, story. It was so good. So um, I'm going to do the story. It's called Hooked. It's uh, just a podcast. It's by Apple TV, but it's um, in like Apple TV worked with Campside Media, I think I believe is what it's called. And so that's the network who had the show. The host is Josh, Josh Dean and Josh Dean is also the host of The Clearing, which is a podcast. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. And he's also the host of, I think, the second season of Chameleon, which, um, yes. yeah. So I really like him. He's, uh, he just does a good job, and he's done some really good stories. Um, I really like the Chameleon and the Clearing, but the Chameleon was really good. So, um, and it's also kind of cool because he he's just a journalist who like builds like relationships like he actually like becomes friends with the guy in the story and I just think it's it just takes like your um like the level of journalism to a whole new level I think I just respect it a lot I, I just think it's cool so anyways um the guy in the story is Tony Hathaway and he was I guess technically like caught in 2014 but the story kind of takes place like over the years and his um, crime was bank robberies. But um, it, t- Tony Hathaway is a very interesting um, person. Like, I don't really look at him as a bad guy. Like, you, you it's hard to look at him as a bad guy because you get to know him through the stories. Um, and you, you will understand why as we talk more about it. But he was a design engineer for Boeing. Um, he was married with two kids, like very smart. I don't even think he went to college, but he just um, had a friend, like his dad's friend, like knew how talented he was and got him a job and he just worked his way up at Boeing. Um, so he had gotten injured while working at Boeing. Like they were just after work playing a game. So I don't even remember what game, some game outside and he fell and hurt his back, I think. So he was prescribed painkillers, and this is kind of like when the story starts and like you see it all goes downhill from here or from there. So um, Tony had struggled with addiction before. Like I think he had had an alcohol um, addiction and he was sober at the time. I think he maybe even went to rehab for alcohol. But another thing I kind of want to point out that I think is so interesting is um, like painkillers and opioids. Like I think they... So like, okay, like being an alcoholic or just any kind of addiction, I think is like, you know, it's hereditary or it runs, like there's a, I don't know all the medical terms, but it's like a genetic um, makeup in some way or form. Yeah. But like painkillers are so strong that I don't even think 
like from what I've read online that like you need to have that pre-existing addiction like you can get hooked on them like I know I will not shut up about this but you have to watch Dope Sick yeah because (laughs) it is so good and it really makes you understand how Mm -hmm. people get addicted because like you said you don't have to be you don't have to have an addictive personality yes yeah and this happened and like for some like me you know I'm very blessed to not have addictive personalities I mean I think like the worst thing I'm addicted to is like coke zero or maybe some coffee (laughs) you know like yeah so um and I'm very lucky for that and it's so it's so interesting to me to like get in the mind of these people who are who are addicted but also like you don't even have you know, you don't even have to have an addiction problem to get addicted to painkillers. So, so anyways, um, so he, he started, he got his back injury, started taking it for the pain. And then one thing led to another and he's addicted. So for a long time, he managed his addiction. Um, he basically kind of led like a double life and he kept his job, but was basically like high all the time. Um, so eventually him and his wife separate, um, they have a good relationship. She's still like, you know, I, she cares for him and loves him, but he's just, he wasn't the same person like during obviously his addiction. Um, so he takes a lead from work to try and actually manage his addiction. And I think during this time, like, um, Boeing was still paying him, but it never like got better. I mean, he was still like using all of the time so one day which this is kind of where the story takes like a crazy crazy turn he catches his son his son was like 16 doing heroin in his room and um and not reacting like the normal dad would which i'm like oh my god if i was doing heroin in my room and my dad walked in like my life would be over but your dad is addicted to painkillers. And so he sees this. And so I think Connor, I think is the same, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, Oh my God, what is my dad about to do? Well, he's like, what is that? And he's like, it's heroin. And, um, one thing leads to another and Tony gets addicted to heroin because he's like, okay, I'm getting the same high and it's a lot cheaper than the Oxycontin. So Tony and his son Connor begin like, um, doing drugs all the time, like sundown to sun or sun up to sundown. Like it just goes rampant at this point. Um, and what's so mind blowing to me is that Tony was still getting paid by Boeing and they were so poor. Like they were living out of their car because they were spending all of their money on heroin. Like they barely had enough money to get a pack of cigarettes. It, and it's just so mind blowing that that problem could get so bad that your son you and your son are like it's just so hard to wrap your head around I mean from in it's the getting that poor to doing it with your son it's there's just so many levels that it's just so hard but like addiction I guess can do that to you yeah so this is the last thing I'll quote from dope no no you're fine no they they explain that because like dope sick is actually the term that Uh between like hits And, like, it can feel like you are literally going to die if you don't get that next thing. So, like, they are literally living, like, hit to hit, Mm -hmm. and they will do, they will forego everything else, and they'll ruin everything else for it. 
because yeah. they, they feel like they must have it to live. Yeah, so to add to our list of, like, Netflix documentaries to watch, Dope Sick is another one. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have, have to like watch it million. and and come back. Yes, we have a million of them. Um, So, uh, during their despair, they decide to rob a bank. And it goes poorly. They get caught. And his son, um, because his son was the actual one who, like, went into the bank and robbed the bank. So, he gets caught. And the dad never, like, speaks up or anything. Which he explains, like, their reasoning for the way they handled that. Which, you know, whatever. That's a small detail in the grand scheme of things. But... Um, so his son goes to jail and at this point, Tony like loses his job. They're like, okay, you know, we're done. This is clearly not getting better. So then that paycheck is no longer coming in. Um, so Tony eventually like Tony and his mom move in together. And this is when Tony begins robbing banks. And so Tony, um, he's a very, very smart guy. Uh, you real you learn that like he's just he's a and Connor his son is very smart like they're they're very smart they just um, got down the wrong path in life but Tony starts robbing banks and he's good at it like he's really really good at it he had a method he never carried a gun he um, he would change up his like mask to where to the point where they thought it was like different robbers like they didn't know it was the same person he would like sit outside the bank and wait till no one was there he would do like smaller banks and he would, you know, go and like, he would do it really fast too. Like he'd go in and they also, Oh, they got caught with his son because they didn't check for like the pink, the powder or whatever. So the powder went off and it was like just a disaster. But you Tony like learned lessons, I guess, from, from that first time. Didn't he say that he used to like use his finger yeah, and, and make it sweat- look like a gun in, in his, his sweatshirt or whatever? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm like impersonating. <laughs> like, you don't know what I'm talking about. But yes. Like, yeah, like this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he just, he like would also pack practice in his mom's kitchen. Like he would like set the timer. The microwave. Yes. yes. And he would go around. So he was clearly good at it because he ended up doing like 30 bank robberies. So, and he also didn't take a ton of money too. He just took enough money to like feed his addiction. Um, and then he also like got addicted to robbing banks. So like that is in you, you know, like it can just, mm-hmm. it can, it can come out in any form. Um, it's just crazy. So um, he gets caught on his 30th robbery. And I think at this point, too, he, um, he was watching a bank, this one bank, and he, like, no one was leaving. You know, it just, it wasn't working out, so he got lazy, and he went in, and it just, it didn't go as planned. He also one time robbed a bank where his sister worked, and I think that might have been, it was, like, the second to last time. He, like, robbed a bank where his sister worked. It was insane. He also, like, took her car like borrowed her car and went and robbed her but it, it's just oh like gosh. you can tell his mind like he was not obviously not yeah. his right mind um so he gets caught they go into the detail of him um in jail and he eventually gets sober because you know he's in jail he um he ended up not getting as much time as like they were trying to put on him but i think something went wrong with um the interview and so they use that against the like um 
prosecutor's team. And so he ended up not getting that much time. So he's, he got like three to five years, I think. And he, um, so he's out of prison, like by the time this podcast is being like, you know, produced. And um, so him and his son um, both eventually got clean. It took his son a little longer. His son kind of had some up and downs, but him and his son like live in an apartment together, which a lot of people, like the mom wasn't totally happy about because, you know, you're not, um, when you're in a recovery, you know, you're not supposed to be with like other people in Mm -hmm. recovery. So I think that's somewhat of a struggle, but they like have such a tight bond that they're not, uh, going to separate. So they live in an apartment together. Um, and this is around the pandemic when the pandemic hits. And so it's kind of interesting because you can hear Josh like figure out like he didn't know what was happening but like as he's talking with Tony he starts to learn that Tony and his son like start struggling with an alcohol addiction um so that's kind of sad but they did eventually like get sober but basically like the reason why Tony did this story with Josh was because he said you know a lot of people had approached him to do a story on him but they were all concerned about the bank robberies which that is like exciting and thrilling to hear about how someone can do that that many times but basically Tony's mission and the reason why he chose Josh was because he wants to get like the message out there about like what um, Oxycontin and like painkillers can do to people and what it can do to their families and so at the end he um, and it was also really interesting too to hear um, Josh like interviewed some of the bank tellers that had been robbed um, when he did. And like, you know, obviously they're terrified. And so Tony later throughout the podcast, like heard their side of the story. And it's just so interesting to get to hear him, like hear that and realize, cause he kept thinking, Oh, I'm not hurting anybody. Like I'm robbing from a bank. Like I'm not rob. I'm not robbing from the, the small, like the little people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing it from the big banks and, so you can tell, like, he's like, okay, I, I messed up, which, yeah, he messed up. But in his mind, he was thinking he wasn't hurting anybody because he didn't have a gun or anything like that. But obviously, that's a traumatizing experience. And so uh, it was just interesting to get to hear their side of the story and hear him kind of come around like, oh, yeah, that was horrible. Um, so they end the um, podcast on... Purdue Pharma and just like Tony's uh, mission to uh, just, you know, do whatever he can to take these people down, which there's a lot of people in Tony's shoes who are like, okay, these are horrible people. Um, So none of them, like the family is the Sackler family. So what they were trying to do was they were trying to like claim like bankruptcy So they, like, no one could file, like, a lawsuit against them, and they wouldn't have to pay out any money. Um, And so there was a big court ruling, like, uh, either this, I think very recent, was it? Oh, yeah, it was in September of 2021. Um, And so they didn't allow them to do that. Like, people came up and spoke up and was like, no, like, you cannot let these people, like, get away with this again, because they haven't served any time they really haven't taken any responsibility like they 
it just like they had doctors which i mean that's the doctors were just as bad as them but they had doctors like selling this stuff like it was like if you watch um another show too is the pharmacist which i talked about yesterday where they talk about how like the doctors were getting in on it and like that's who was like giving tony like all his medicine where they were like getting in with the um pharmaceutical reps and like it was just this whole big scheme because everybody was just making so much money off of it yeah so, that is like the that is the story of dope sick it's about dope purdue pharma and how they had their reps go to doctors and sell it mm-hmm. as like the best pain medicine there is and so doctors are like yeah I'll do anything to help my patients here take this this mm-hmm. is what they're telling me and it it surrounds the case against Purdue Pharma and the people that are affected and all that yeah it's it's so interesting so they were not able to claim that bankruptcy um immunity deal or whatever so they had to pay out like 4.3 billion dollars but none of that money is going to like any of the people it's going to um treatment and prevention programs which i do understand like that is needed but also like they're still prescribing painkillers and like i don't know it it's just uh it's crazy and they have like 11 billion net worth so like that was probably like nothing to them like yeah you know um and so Purdue Pharma will be, like, dissolved. Like, they're not going to be around anymore. But, like I said, like, painkillers are still, like, on the market and still going to be prescribed. But, um, it, yeah, it was just a very interesting story. And, I mean, it's it's a good story because you hear, like, how he does these um, bank robberies, which, yes, that's the crazy, like, thrilling part. But also it's so informative on the um, Oxycontin side and, you know, like, how – how someone like that who had everything like he mm-hmm. he worked for he was an engineer for Boeing he traveled the world he you know was married and he had his kids and like they had this like perfect life he had like he was sober like he he was like doing nothing and then he has a back injury and is taking what the doctor is prescribing him and then his whole life is just you know taking this terrible mm-hmm. different path so Yes, it's a great, great story, and um, it was it was a good, entertaining story, but it was also very informative. So, yeah, I really enjoyed like, it because we hear all these crime stories, and we can't imagine anyone doing that thing, and it sounds so crazy and such mm-hmm. horrible people. And then you hear a story like him, and you're like, I mean, that sounds like anyone I yeah. know. You know, yeah. he's holding a steady job, he has a good family you know, he's doing okay. And you're like, it can, how did that happen to someone? Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So I think those are two, two great stories and two good podcasts, uh, Mm -hmm. that if you're not into the, the the true crime, like we are, we're, (laughs) it gets dark. These, these don't get too dark and they're very, very interesting. And, um, Inter- entertaining stories mm-hmm. so that's that's all we got for that um our last thing we were going to talk about was i was telling sam i just started a book called anxious people which she was saying she just finished mm-hmm. which is actually also about um a bank robbery yeah mm-hmm. so like i'm to the point i just started it but like 
he the guy like robs the bank he goes into the apartment building and um they're like interviewing all the people from the apartment building and i'm a little confused because oh like it looks like he shot himself or he's like dead but he's not in the building i don't know I'm a, okay I'm, yeah so he, there's a bank robber and the robber ends up in an apartment that's being shown for like sale. Yes. Yes. And so the police who are reacting to this bank robbery think that the bank robber is taking these people hostage. Hostage. Mm -hmm. And so they go up and everyone is gone. But so I, it's not what you think. Okay. Um, and you don't really realize until like the last couple of pages, but it's a very good book and it's not about a bank robbery like whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of like little life pieces of wisdom and it's a nice story in the uh-huh. end. But yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I wanna like robbery. I wanna read it, like pick it back up tonight. But yeah. I was also telling Sam that I think there is a show. Like, I think there's a TV show on it. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the book. I want to watch it. And Jake was like, don't watch it. Read your book first. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, is it on? But, what is it on? I can't remember which one it's on. I think Netflix? No, I feel like not Netflix. Maybe Apple TV? I can't remember. Sam is looking it up right now. She'll tell us. Oh, yeah. It is on Netflix. Okay, okay. You have to read you need to finish the book first yeah yeah because if you know a certain fact from the beginning then it will change everything and I think they would have to show that fact unless they like work backwards I don't know okay yeah I'm excited I'm gonna I'm gonna finish um I'm gonna pick it back up tonight but yeah so if you if you need um you know going on the same topic of (laughs) robberies if you're interested in this topic there is also a book we've got tv we've got podcasts we've got books we've got books that were turned into tv shows the only we've thing got we it don't all. have is a movie which we could probably yeah. think of but we uh, don't like those <laughs> yeah no i don't have any movies off the top of my head um but yeah i i enjoyed i enjoyed this podcast it wasn't yeah, as um also the stories were a lot easier to, t- to tell than yes some of the the true crime ones where it's like you have to go into a lot of detail yeah yeah and you kind of have to explain why one person wasn't a suspect or why they yeah so it's um some good stuff but that's all that's all we got i think for today so okay well bye sam bye ashton special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.